Father God, our hearts are frail. Our, our confidence at times is frail. Lord, we are, we are scattered about sometimes emotionally. But you are our rock. You are here to help. You are our helper. You are our healer. And Lord, we come therefore boldly, confidently, expectantly, because you are here and you are our leader and you have spoken. And we thank you for that. And we ask you, Lord, to draw our hearts that we can hear you today. In your name we pray. The first song that was sung today, I was sitting there, it was called Blessed Assurance. And uh, I have a lot of quotes that always run through my mind when I hear things, and sometimes I get a place to share them here. So I was hitting that song, Blessed Assurance. What was going through my mind is that as a people, as humanity, we have a critical need for hope. So many movies, so many books are of this idea of when hope is lessening, and when hope is gone, watch what happens to an individual. We basically live off of hope. We get through things because of hope. We have a critical and a desperate need for hope. And that song which said, we have a blessed assurance. We have a hope. We have a future. And how that's going to apply for us today, the quote that went through my head that says is, when we have confident assurance in the future, we have stability and joy in the present. So when we have a confident hope and an assurance in the future, we have stability and joy in the present. A few people must have seen what was on the website or in the bulletin, and they came up to me. You know, the people who have been around church a long time said, Revelations, huh? You know, a little wink, you know, like, so they either think we're brave or foolish and maybe a combination of the two. But we are starting a series in Revelation. As of now, it's only going to go through the first couple chapters where it talks to the seven churches, the seven churches and Christ's message to the seven churches. If you're like me, though, we could use a timeline. When is Revelation written? We know it's the last book in the Bible. So if you want to get ready, you can pull out the Bibles in front of you, and it's going to be the last recorded word of Scripture to us. And what has happened? Roughly 2,000 years ago, right, Christ came down to the earth. Christ gave his testimony. Christ shared that he was God. He gave his life. He shed his blood, and he died for us. Powerfully and victoriously, he rose on the third day, came up and Conquered death, conquered grave, conquered the sin. Spent some time proving his power by showing himself to many, many witnesses. And a month or two later, he ascended up into heaven and he sent his spirit. And he fulfilled the disciples and the apostles with his word, with his knowledge. And they went out teaching others and baptizing them in the name of the Lord and our Savior, our risen Lord Jesus Christ. And the church grew. And the church moved on. And now in Revelations, we're about 60 years later. We're right around 95 AD or so is what the scholars would tell us. About 60 years later, the disciples, the apostles have passed away. They have died. Other churches have been started. There's been serious persecution. If you want to study a little bit about persecution, go read, go look at Wikipedia or study a little bit about Nero and what happened to the church. Church grew, churches persecuted, churches spread. Their first pastors, their first apostles and teachers and leaders have gone. They're in their, quote, second generation. The last one, John himself, has been imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos. Even he is now separated from him. So you've got a scattered, hurting church 
they had what? What's one of the reasons they're hurting? Not only have they been through persecution, not only have they been reviled, not only have they struggled and saw the death of many of their leaders, but they expected, they expected that Christ would come back quickly. So when Christ ascended and said he would come back and they were teaching that, you know, that first year went by and then the second year and then a decade and then two decades. And now they're sitting about 60 years later going, where are we at? What's going on? I thought it would be easier than this. I thought the victorious life in Jesus Christ was going to be done and there's going to be either heaven on earth or we're taken to heaven and it's going to be the new Jerusalem. Why is it taking so long? What do we say at Lakeside when we fast forward 2,000 years? I thought he would come back already. Has he forgotten us? Is he alive? Is there a plan? Is there a hope? Is there a future for us? Well, the theme of the revelation of Jesus Christ is just that. A church that needs to see Jesus. That needs to see him alive and well. And that needs to know that victory is not only assured, but is already won. And that he is paying attention He is walking around with us, involved in our lives, and there is a plan. And it's going exactly as it should. Wouldn't that be helpful? I need your nodding your head yes right now, right? Wouldn't this be helpful if we could see that? That is why Revelations was written. Not some Rubik's Cube to figure out some mystery. It is as a sense of worship and a sense of vision for Christ himself to a church that needed it. Follow along with me and get ready here as we go in Revelation. We are going to start in chapter 1. I'm taking a few liberties. I think that we need just that little more headwind for us to get going into it. As you're turning to it, page 1028 in your chair Bibles, the way I want you to phrase this in your mind if you're taking notes, we are not getting a new revelation here. This series is not going to take us into a new revelation, but we are expecting a fresh revelation. So write that down, because we cannot live unless the revelation is fresh, and that's why these churches were given it. For them, it was new and fresh, if you will, at the same time. Let's God help us as we read. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Make just a few quick comments. There's a three-pronged blessing there. The only book here that's given a blessing. What are the three-pronged blessings there? What does it say? Blessed is the one who reads this, right? But which, which way? Who reads it aloud. That's why we're reading it aloud this morning. It was intended to be read with the church together, publicly, to be read aloud, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And there is a blessing in it. And we say amen, Father. Thank you. 
and a blessing for those who hear it with an open heart and an open mind, and a blessing for those who keep what is written in it. May we be blessed. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And just understand that, who is, who wrote that first, then who was, then who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. I was on the isle called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamon and Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow, his eyes were like a flame of fire, His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars from his mouth, came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the shining, like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this, But as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. God gave us a vision of Jesus Christ. If you look in verses 12 through 16, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe with a golden sash, and his voice and his eyes. John is seeing a vision 
of the living Christ in his glorified state. Not him on a cross, broken and bleeding with a thorn of crowns, but him in the way he is and ought to be for all time. Our glorified Christ is there and was given a vision to John to give that vision to the churches, to share it with us. And in verse 20, prophecy and, and the verbiage and the symbolism is often given its own revelation and it's given its own information. In verse 20, we have it. I wrote to you with this idea of lampstands and stars. All we need to do is look in verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, because this phrasing is going to come up and we need to understand it, that you saw in my right hand in the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Angelos, the angels, the messengers. And can we be perfectly clear here? Probably not. Will I be dogmatic on it? I don't think so, and we shouldn't hope to be. But it appears to be that it would be the angels brought this to John. But John was also the messenger. So the word here is the messenger. John was the messenger to these churches. He was with the bishop of these churches. He was coming. He was the messenger and teacher, and he was now coming with a message. And so the idea here that are the messengers to the churches... And God has had messengers to the churches for all time. Can we say amen to that? God has always had. He's had his message, and he's had his messengers. And it comes through the Spirit. Does he have an angel for each church? Maybe. Maybe. But he has a message and a messenger, or messengers for each church. And what is God saying here? What's the visual he had? Not only are there messengers, but where are they in this context of God? He's holding them in his right hand. And the idea here of holding is the idea of grip. God is holding his messengers in his right hand. We can be confident that it is God who is holding up the messengers. It is his message, and he will sustain the frailty of the messengers. He's got them in his grip. And the lamp stands. The seven churches. And the lampstands are the seven churches. And why the seven churches? Were there more churches in Asia? Probably little house churches starting and others. But he chose these seven churches. Yeah, they were in a locality. But the idea of seven will constantly go through Scripture as total, complete, perfect. So he's writing to the churches, to the immediate churches, but to all the churches. This message was specifically to these seven, but also completely for you and I. It includes all churches of all time, everywhere, and it includes Lakeside today. This is a message for Lakeside. And what is the church? The church is a collection of individuals. So the church is also I. Because where we go, the church goes with us. So this is a message also in its completeness and in its fullness for you and I. And it's also going to be a message if we're not in the church, if you will. If we haven't given our life to Jesus Christ to be saved by him, it's a message to come on in. God is still watching and calling. That gets us, though, to our actual core essence here. He's kicked it off. 17, fear not, I am the first and the last. I'm kicking it off. Give this message to the churches. And right away, the church at Ephesus. Dear Ephesus, the letter might start, a little teeny letter to them, or Dear Lakeside. 
maybe a word of instruction here to us. We are going to go through seven churches, so we didn't pick Caesar and go, which church does Lakeside most remind us of? Let's go with Ephesus, or you know what? Laodicea for sure. Philadelphia. No, it is a, God gave us seven messages. We're going to find ourselves in pieces and parts, I believe, in all of them. Individually, we might find ourselves more or predominantly in one or the other. So this is a message to the whole and a message to us individually. And as God speaks to you, if your heart is open to hear, let's find what God has to say for us. Today, though, we will focus on what he had to say for Ephesus and to Lakeside through Ephesus. Verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Just a real quick, to the angel of the church, to the messenger of the church, from whom the words of him, these are the words of him who, who holds it, who walks among the seven stars. This is a word from Jesus. What is this even entitled? The revelation of Jesus Christ, the revealing, the unveiling. So this is to the messenger from God. Where is he who walks among the seven golden lampstands, who walks among the churches? And so the song that came to me all week was, I believe he's here now. Remember that old praise song? I believe he's here now. I believe he's Standing in our midst. Yeah, Lois is nodding. You know that song. Yeah. I believe he's standing in our midst. Jesus Christ is saying, I am not over there. I am here. I am alive. This is to you from me. And where am I? I am amongst you. Yes, I have kept my body glorified in Christ, but through my spirit, through my sense, through my personality, I am with you. I am watching you. I see everything. That's an important takeaway for us, for a church that is broken and hurting and lost at times, to think that God is over there. We're wondering where he is. He's saying, I'm right here with you. And he moves on quickly. And the three things now, if you do like to take notes, now is where you want to pay attention how we're going to break this down. He gives three things here, an acknowledgement. He acknowledges them. He admonishes them. And then he gives some advice. I really want to get to what advice does Christ have for us? He gives an acknowledgement. He has some admonition. And he has some advice. Most of the same thing will walk through all the churches. Let's see what it is here. He gets right into it. Verse 2, the acknowledgement. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Skip ahead to verse 6. This is his last part of his acknowledgement. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I know your works, verse 2, and your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. What's he telling them? What's he acknowledging them for? There's really two things for them. Their effort. He's acknowledging them for their toil, for their perseverance, for their works. They did not grow weary. This was a working church. If something needed to be done on a Tuesday night, they were doing it. If somebody needed something, they did it. If they needed to show up to congregate together, 
They were probably there. But it goes deeper. It's not just the works that are, quote, that we might look at as religious. They're bearing up under all kinds of things. They bore up under persecution. They bore up under even needing to move probably their families further and further out into Asia. They probably bore up under the normal issues of life. If one was widowed, they would have had a widow here who bore up. The churches Ephesus had strong widows. If they had a single parent in Ephesus, it would have been a single parent who bore up. Then when a Tuesday was hard and they didn't know how they were even going to make it to the end of the day, when they made it to the end of the day and they went to sleep and they woke up on Wednesday, they did it again. When they've had their third job in two years and it wasn't going well, they did it again. When the economy wasn't there and the finances there, did they give up? This is not a church that gave up. They kept trying. They kept working. They kept going. And he acknowledged them and he said, I see your effort. I see that you persevere. I see that you keep going. And he said, acknowledge that. I'll acknowledge that. But what else did he say? He gave him another acknowledgement, another strong one, because that's a pretty big deal. That's a lot of stuff going on there. A lot of people you can't give that acknowledgement to. But he basically gave them, you are doctrinally song. Not only do you have the effort and the perseverance and the, you know, you're not growing weary, but you are doctrinally strong. You know the truth. You know when there's false teachers. You don't guess. You don't have to ask somebody else. He goes, I hate the works of the Nicolaitans. I didn't hear that it said, I hate the Nicolaitans, but for sure it says, I hate the works of the Nicolaitans, and you also hate them. We don't know exactly what the Nicolaitans were teaching. There's some suspicion here and there. I think it's much less important. There is always going to be a hundred or thousands of false truths. It's only going to be one truth. We don't need to know a thousand false truths. We don't need to study of them. If there's 10,000 of them, it doesn't matter how many there are. We don't care. We need to know when it's false against what is true. We need to know the truth, and they knew the truth. So when some false teachers came up, if you read in Acts chapter 19 and Acts chapter 20 where the church was formed, Paul also wrote a a whole letter, the epistle to the Ephesians. This is the same church. This church knew a lot. This church studied a lot. They grew. And when the false teachers came up, they said, no, 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 no. That's wrong. That's not right. That's not what was taught. That's not what it says in this letter here. That's not what was taught to us by Paul. That's not what we have here. You want to bring it home? If someone comes up to us and says, does baptism save you or not? Would this church be able to answer what happens, what doesn't? That's the symbol of Christ's blood and our resurrection. The Trinity. How has God come together? The doctrine of heaven and the doctrine of hell. Creation. Our assurance, the doctrine of God's grace, his substitutionary atonement for our sin, the doctrine of sin. I would say, yeah, in part and in most. This church was acknowledged for that. You couldn't couldn't trick them. You couldn't say, oh, no, no, it's this way. They knew it. They were studied, and they knew false teaching when they heard it, and they stood up against it. So we might say, well, that's pretty really good. Can't can we just stop right there? What did Christ teach us? What does he say? What does he do to those he loves and to those that are his? And right, what does he do? 
gives a little extra admonishment, right? A little extra help. I love you. I love you so much, and you're doing good here. But I'm gonna, I have bigger things for you. I have a bigger future for you. This is, this is a good start, but we got to go here. And I will get you there. So I have a word of admonishment. So he admonished them. Verse 4. But I have this against you. It's not even a subtle phrasing. I have this against you. When I was reading this, by the way, you know how you ever get the feeling? Maybe it's because we're uh, even God set it up this way. You know where people, and I do this all the time. Let me tell you a a performance review or something. Let me tell you this and this and all these wonderful things you're doing. I feel really good and good. And you're like, "Uh uh-huh, I'm barely listening because I feel a butt coming. I I feel it coming. It's about, the hammer's about to come down. I know it. You're just setting me up. And he's like, Christ, Christ, you did good. You did this. You did this. But. You're like, I knew it. Here it comes. Verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Look at the phrasing. It's not even that you have lost your first love. We, we use that phrasing a lot if you pay attention. Somebody might have lost their first love, like they misplaced it. Anybody see my car keys? I had it, now it's just gone, poof. Here it is not a lost, it's an abandonment. I am setting it over here because I am going for this. Big difference. They have abandoned their first love. Now, if you just read this, you know, we tend to read things quickly, right? If we're doing the new Bible year reading, if we're reading to it, we're somewhat, and somehow we're doing one in reverse from our revelations, we might have read through this. We got the first church, second church. But if you go slowly, you did this great. You got all this perseverance and effort and consistency, and you're hanging in there, and you know doctrine, you know truth, but you've abandoned your first love. It's hard for me to even to reconcile that. How do those two even go together? If you got the first two, almost for sure you got the third. He's saying, no, you're not even close. It's abandoned. You've abandoned your first love. So we'd say, how do we judge ourselves? Well, we can judge ourselves. We're consistent. We're persevering. We don't grow weary. We continue. And we know doctrinal truth. You know, we, we, we clearly have a pretty good knowledge and a grasp. can ex- uh, kind of tell you what's, what's the prophecy and the picture in the Old Testament, the fulfillment in the New, and I understand what's going on. And abandoned the first love. I think we got to pause and sit on there a little bit. A note that's highlighted in my notes here is what we do is not nearly as important as why we do it. If you want that as one of your takeaways for today, I would suggest that it might be a good one. It would be healthy for us to go home and say what we do is not nearly as important as why we do it. What Christ was saying here is these things are good, but I'm trying to get to the why. I'm trying to get to is there the heart behind it. If these are the actions, yes. But if the heart is behind it, then we got something. Then we really got something. If we don't, we don't have anything. The first love. What did they actually lose? What they really lost was a relationship part versus the housekeeping part. The love 
and a relationship with Christ versus making the beds, putting the dishes away, paying the bills. If you want to apply it to marriage, it's the same thing. Their first love might be categorized as passion, energy, desire, spending time together. Can't wait to be together. Daydreaming about. Another word for that might be meditating about. And the idea here of first love is not that since first in order and then there's a second, third, and fourth. It is first in the sense of primary. Not that you had your first crush and then you moved on. It is first in the sense of its primary. It overwhelms me. It is what I think about. It is what I want. It is what consumes me. It is what almost every praise song, I know Andy gets tired of me. I keep hitting, I go, that, those words, I, I, I don't know if I do that. And I, you know, the second song, I know, you said that on the last song. You know, I say it all the time. He's like, Yo, you're all I want. You're all I need. You're my everything. Really? Was that when I got home from work and I sat down and I said, I just got a free time to think. What did I think about? Where did my mind go? And someone would say to me, well, Stan, I, I, don't, I don't ever, you know, just feel like I've abandoned it. I said, okay, I'll say, that's fair. So let's talk about it a little. Maybe we haven't abandoned it. And we say, I love Christ but I've also put six things in front of him. And now as I, if somebody would actually look at him, he's in seventh place. Not that I don't love Christ. I just love these six things more. And that's what has happened to this church. They were working hard. They were knowledgeable But the reason their love for it had gone, it became either a habit, some good fortitude, some good just roll up your sleeves. Maybe there's some pride in there. I don't know. But the love, the relationship, the joy had went out of it. The fire. Takeaway point in my notes for me is in a fallen world and in our fallen nature, this would be the ordinary course of things. It, to maintain our first love, to maintain that energy and passion takes effort and it takes time. We are by nature falling apart. Sin will have its way. It wants to destroy. That which is good and pure and holy and loving, the, the prince of this earth has many, many schemes and our nature wants to go there too. The effort and the time it takes to uphold it is something that needs to be proactive. Reactive will not work. And remember, the church is I. So if any one of you is feeling anything, a little pricking in the heart or so, that's okay because the church is I. But good news. Did he leave us here to go home? Well, what he got? What's the third part? What did we say? So he acknowledged us. So we, let's hang on to that because I mean, that was real. He acknowledged. You know, had the admonition. And what's coming next? What do we got? We got the advice, right? All right, thank you. We got the advice. Let's see what he has for us. Uh, And because we need things sometimes in parts, he's got three parts of this advice. It is to remember, to repent, and to restore. Let's look in verse 5, and we can see his advice 
to repent, to remember, and to restore. And he says it right here. Verse 5, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What does he mean by remember? I mean, it starts right there. It's just remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. He wants us to stop. What does it take to remember, right? First of all, remembering does not mean just a little quick. Yeah, this is a big deal now. This might have been a 10 or 20-year existence. Ephesus had been around a while. It's been 60 years. Maybe, maybe it's been, Paul wrote the letter maybe around 60 AD, so maybe the church has been around 30 or so years. I don't know exactly when it went in Acts, maybe even earlier, maybe even earlier, right? But the letter epistle was written in 60. So this has been a, a fully formed kind of solid church at least for 30 years. They've had some decline. And he's saying, remember, to remember in my life, if I have to pause and I want to go back, it takes time. I need to, like, if I'm in a car, I've got to shut off the radio. I've got to, if I get home somewhere, I've got to set aside some time to remember how it was. Remember from when you have fallen. It is saying, you are here right now. Remember this. Climb back up the hill. Remember, because it's cloudy. It's gray. Go back and Remember. Remember the truth. Remember how you felt before Christ took over your life. This is a wonderful exercise. So if you want to do this for the new year, go back to before you can remember having Jesus Christ as your Savior. Go back and say, I was lost. I thought I knew what I was doing. I was going my way. And somehow, by God's grace, we came to a place that said, that way is a dead end. I'm on my way to hell. I have no hope. There's no way I can work hard enough. I can't get there. I can't not be sufficient enough in myself. It is hopeless. I've got nothing. I'm going completely the wrong way, and I can't change. And then by God's grace, he opened our eyes and he put us, took away our pride and he put us on our knees and said, but I have a savior who came and got me, who came and died for me, who shed his blood, who rose again and picked me up and took me with him. And he took me up into the heavenly host with him. And he said, remember that. Remember that you were lost and you had nowhere and that you have a savior and you have a hope and you have eternity. And the Savior wants to talk with you. He came personally for you. Stan, he knows your name. He knows everything about you. He knows your heights. He knows what you like. He knows your, you, you think you got the better shot there than you do, and you think you're better putter. He knows that. He's got you. He's got everything about you. Go back and remember. Let's go back and remember. A little hard word for us here. Some of us may be doing the first two things. Working, showing up, habits. Some of us may have been baptized. Maybe know the word. And we start to remember. We may go back. We may feel like we've not really come to know Christ. And felt that. Then we say amen. The Lord is revealing that to you now. We accept him. Maybe some here said, I have nothing to remember. I haven't done that. God is revealing it now. He's calling us. 
into a love relationship with him. Our first love, the thing that will give us joy and energy and a purpose and a future and a life here today. If we go back and remember, and it is we don't have that, then we've never had it and accept it today. There's a glorious part to that word. So he says, remember from where you have fallen, and then repent and do the works you did at first. So this idea of repentance here is a complete turning. It is a mental acknowledgement. Where I'm at is wrong. That's hard for us to say sometimes, isn't it? Like, well, I could do a little better. No, yeah, I'm not sure that's repentance. I could improve. Sure, fine, I can improve quite a bit. Not sure that's repentance, okay? Repentance is I am wrong. I need to turn around. What I am doing is wrong. I need to do what is right. I, try this one on for size, right? This is tough, you know. I need to change. I know it's normally not right, because normally all the people around me need to change. If they could all improve, I would be fine. What Christ is telling us here is, I need change. Do we think repentance was a one-time thing? He's saying, repent. Repent. Turn. Change. That means what Monday looks like. I changed it. I always use Tuesday, but I'm using Monday today. On Monday, because it's earlier, it's tomorrow. We're not waiting until Tuesday this week. I need to be different. I don't need to acknowledge on Monday that potentially I should potentially kind of maybe think about being different. It means I need to be different. And I'm not going to be different and repent unless I remember where I came from. Because I won't have the energy for it. I won't even want to change. A silly example, you know, it's maybe some of us can. I don't know I can, but maybe some people can. They may be able to look back at a picture in their youth and go, wow, look at that six-pack. Or look at that. Look at, look at, you know, I was in good shape. Go, remember what I need to change on Monday to get back to that. <laughs> Something needs to change. Remember, he's saying we had it. Remember and repent. Admit it loudly. What I have in my notes is admit it loudly. Admit it openly. Admit it confessionally. Admit it to our God. I am wrong and I need to change. Admit it to those who we hold in accountability in our lives. I need to change. And what did he say last? After we remember, after we repent, and do the, the, the kind of the conclusion of repentance is there's that the change and do the works you did at first. A new believer, a believer who came to Christ, a believer who is truly a believer, not someone having a profession of it, but a real true believer who was grabbed hold by Jesus Christ would have had what in their life? I think it would be consistent it, in different personalities, but it'd be consistent. They would have an absolute real desire to talk with Christ, their Lord and their Savior, the lover of their soul. I'm getting up. I want, oh, what are we doing today? What you got on the plate today? Where are we going? What are we going to be about? Give me the play. I'm in the huddle. What's the play? Are we going left? Are we going right? What are we doing? All right. All right. You want to hear it? Let me tell you what I'm worried about. Let me tell you what I'm struggling with. Let me talk to me. Oh, you, I'm in prison. Let's just say this world is a prison, right, in a sense. I'm in a prison. We got a letter. 
We got a letter from our loved one, the one we love the most. I come home from work, there's a letter there. It says, to Stan, and it's from Annie, and it's there. I, yeah, I'll get to that in about six months. Rip it open. What are you doing? I'm reading the letter. I'm reading what was written to me, and I can't wait. It's not like checking on the list. I'm reading because this is the Lord of my life is telling me things about who he is, and I can get to understand what he cares about, what he thinks is wrong. I mean, this is so cool. There is an individual, there's a book I'm reading that has a custodian. He's being lifted up as one of the most extraordinary people. He has a word, and this is so cool. He says when he reads the Bible, he tells people, the word he uses a lot, oh, it was delicious. Because in Jeremiah, it says you got to eat this book. And he says, is it delicious? Is it there? When it's not that way, my friends, there's something wrong. And I need to change. Not God. God has not moved. God has not moved. Worship. We've got to talk about worship. Corporately, yes. You know, we, the, the team can kind of make us worship even when we're not worshiping. They, they can only do it to degrees, right? We can only talk about it only to degrees. They can't force it. But private worship, is there a time in our lives where we are just smiling? Why are you smiling about? Oh, I won the lottery or this or that. I got a good grade. I got a raise, whatever. I was just thinking about Jesus. I was just thinking about Jesus. And it made me laugh and it made me smile. And I, sometimes I'm just down on my face on my knees because I'm broken. And other times I'm just standing up. Sometimes I might be in my recliner just enjoying it. Other times I might be crying and weeping. Other times I might be singing and shouting. And other times I am I dancing. If some of those or any of those or all of those are not happening privately on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays, something is wrong. Private worship, where our hearts are moved and corporately brought together. When we come across people, hey, you got any news? What's going on? I got nothing to tell you. Dude, I've got Jesus Christ to save my soul, and he's waiting for me, and he wants you. I got something to talk about. Do you have a cup of coffee? Do you got time? If not, I'll send you an email. If it's not coming out of us, that the greatest, the biggest thing, it's not our first love. I got a new car. I got a this. We're thinking about moving. That uh, we got a, We're not sure where to send our kids to school. You know, they started a new sports club. Those are then our first loves. I don't care what I try to say to myself evangelism is not a thing to do. It is a state of being when we have a love. Did you hear I'm getting married? <laughs> you want to see a picture of her? Can I tell you about her? Can I tell you? It's great. We hear that all the time, and we should, because that is a picture of God's love. It is a picture of the institution he gave us to express our love sideways, but that vertical needs to be primary. Are we really meditating, really thinking about him? Remember, repent, and to restore. So actively, you know, I've said this many, many times. My brother-in-law taught it to me when I was young. Um, brother-in-law Mark here said, you know, motion brings emotion. You ever heard him say that? He says it a lot. Motion brings emotion. If you don't feel it right away, just do it. The first time you're going to go tomorrow morning, right? You're going to open up your word and go, ah, it's going to be delicious. And you get in there and you're like, it doesn't feel delicious. It feels hard and feels a little confusing. And how much more I got to do this before it gets delicious. 
Then when you maybe need to pray, Lord, help me, guide me, it'll come. It'll come. It'll come. But start. Do the works at first. And he left us with two options. How does he close us? You know, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, that's a pretty big deal. We shouldn't, if not, if you don't repent and restore after remembering, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What was the lampstand? The lampstand was a church. And why the picture even, why we wonder why does God use pictures? Why didn't he just say church? Why did he use a lampstand? Because it's a light to this world. It's a beacon set on a hill. It is a light to the world. And he's saying, if you're not going to do this, if you're not going to repent, if you're not going to have a first love, you are actually not helping me. You're giving something false. You're saying to people that this is the life in Jesus Christ when it's not so. That's not true. That's not a life in Jesus. I will come and I will remove your light. People take it two ways, and so, you know, the, some take it all the way, that there's an apostate state and fall away. I think that maybe the more general one and more accurate one would be that I will remove your light. You're not giving light. We're going to acknowledge that. Take you home. You can go off your own way. You're living in, in your salvation in a very, very childish state, and the light is not there. We acknowledge it. I can't say for sure, I haven't been there, but the scholars are telling us that the church at Ephesus, not some great big, you know, thriving metropolis of Christianity, it, it, it lost its way. The uh, modern day, uh, you know, sociologists tell us that roughly 4,000 churches, Christian churches a year, close their doors. And if they had to try to take a look at, it's in the United States and, and, uh, and I think a little bit abroad, they have a hard time putting a number how many churches will be closing their doors in the next 10 or 20 years because they're already lost their light, but they're functioning. They're functioning. Because, and then we might say, well, I'm going to go to another church that's clearly got its light. Well, if my, life is, my, if my light is dim and I went there, I just made theirs a little dimmer. The church is I. The church is I. And he will come and he'll say, and I will remove the lampstand. This is a pretty big deal. But it doesn't leave us that way because he has a bigger plan and a bigger future for us. Talks about this in Philippians. But he who has an ear, verse 7, the second option, he who has an ear, when we're involved with him, if you have an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to Ephesus, to Lakeside, to Stan. To the one who conquers... I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. There's 300 references to the Old Testament in Revelation. I don't know if we knew that. It's, not, it's, it's a book that goes back a lot more before it goes forward. It says, in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life, the way it was, the way it's going to be, the paradise to the one who hears and the one who conquers, the one who wants that first love with me, you're going to be with me in the park. You're going to be with me in paradise. You're going to eat of the tree of life. It's going to be all good all the time forever. That hope. We are people who need hope. We need a vision. So how does this pull together for us? It's been 2,000 years. Has that been a long time? Can everybody say, that's a long time? Let me hear you say, that's a long time, right? But what did he give us? A vision of Jesus Christ, resurrected, 
golden sash, mighty voice saying, I'm walking amongst you. I'm here, and I'm the one who was dead and am alive and am alive forevermore. I've got you. I've got your messengers in the grip of my right hand. I'm walking amongst the churches. Come with me, my love. Come away with me and serve him forever and be with him forever. Let's pray together so we can say amen. Father God, we need to be broken in you. But we thankfulness, Lord, that brokenness only comes with a vision of you. You have granted us the last book in your holy word. You said we need to see a vision of you as you are so that we don't just get distracted, so we don't get lost. We don't wonder what we're fighting for and what we're striving for. Well, we are asking for you now to take the revelation of chapter 1 2 of your revelation and let us physically see it in our eyes. Raise us up, Lord, on our knees. Raise us up to heights we've never stood. That we can see you as you are, high and lifted up, the Holy One, my personal Savior. Lord, be the Savior for Lakeside. Lord, help us to remember Help those who have never come to know Jesus Christ come to know him. Those who have come to him in a weak way that wasn't your way and real, come really and truly and fervently and restore us, Lord, to our first works, that you can be our first love and that the world may see that we have a purpose and we have a hope and we have a living Savior and we live in victory. Lord, we do this all for your honor, your glory, and your sake. And we, as you know, cannot do it without you. So we ask you to go before us and to carry us with you. In your name we pray. Amen.